Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott here to do an instant reaction podcast, uh, Bud. It was a, <laughs> a fun process for all, uh, maybe not so much uh, all the time, but uh, entertaining, uh, but a process that ended with Mike Norvell being named Florida State's head coach. Uh, this will give you kind of a broader look back at the whole process and uh, try to give you an idea as to what happened from every angle. But uh, in this pod, we will focus solely on Norvell, give you as good of an idea as to his background, what type of hire he is. Uh, but we'll treat this basically like an instant reaction podcast. Uh, as such, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Thank uh, Madison Social for all that they've done uh, to make the podcast possible. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll note Resolution Home Loans, the fine job that they've done, the great partner they've been, and then the uh, law office of Travis Johnson. All of our sponsors are incredibly important for us to be able to bring you content like this, and we ask that you please support them in whatever way possible. Absolutely. You can find Resolution Home Loans at uh, FSUHomeLoans.com. You can also reach Travis Johnson, 850-435-9919. So let's get into Mike Norvell. Uh, Ingram, who who is Mike Norvell? Mike Norvell, he is, uh, <laughs> besides his age and where he's previously coached, he's he's probably about as good of a hire as you could hope if you're Florida State with the circumstances and some of the questions you have uh, surrounding your leadership. He's a 38-year-old guy, former wide receiver at Central Arkansas. He's a, uh, as, as hot of a commodity as you find in the coaching industry right now, and he's a guy that I know he's not he's not Bob Stoops, and I know he's not other names, but uh, he's he's a a good hire, and he's a hire that I hope the the fan base as a whole gets behind and and uh, gives its support to. Certainly, and obviously, we, we we generally cater to the podcast. We think the people who've been listening for a while and who listen to every episode. We got to remember some folks might not understand what what do you mean the circumstances? Well, circumstances a uh, Florida State just fired a coach after only twenty one games. Uh, and B, they have a, a president and AD who most people believe is not long for the job, including people in the industry, like agents who are going to advise their clients. And if you understand how this works, when a new AD comes in, unless the program's doing really well, they typically want to put their own stamp on it by hiring their own head coach. So if you're a head coach and you're looking at the Florida State job, you have to say, man, I really have to exceed their expectations there in order for me to keep my job long term because the new guy the new guy is going to want to like put his own stamp on the program by making his own hire doesn't always happen if the guy is doing really well then the, you know the coach can can stay but typically that's kind of the way this works so that that is what they were dealing with and it is kind of weird when the guys making the hire in you know Thrasher Coburn are the major drawbacks of the job uh, so where has Mike Norvell coached uh, well he First of all, like you said, he played at Central Arkansas. He is 38. He'll turn 39 next October. So pretty young guy. Um, coaching resume is is solid here. Uh, from tw- 2007 to 2010, he coached at Tulsa. Uh, that was under Todd Graham. Then he fought, and he was the uh, he was a GA first. And then he was the receivers coach. He also, you know he was a receiver in college. So that makes sense that he started out coaching that position. Uh, in 2011, he followed Todd Graham to Pitt. Uh, Todd Graham is a pretty good coaching tree, by the way. For a guy who didn't have that much success as a head coach himself, pretty nice coaching tree for Graham. So he followed him into Pitt. He was the co-OC and the receivers coach slash the uh, recruiting director. Uh, In 2012 and 2015, he followed Todd Graham to Arizona State, where he he was the assistant head coach slash OC slash quarterbacks coach. Uh, And then he got the Memphis job in uh, 2016. So 
he has four years of head coaching experience and what nine years as a uh, an assistant uh, coach. So not a tremendous track record as far as length as a head coach, um, but the track record that he does have as a head coach is is one of the reasons why Florida State hired him. So let's go ahead and get in to uh, to that track record and and what Florida State saw in in making the hire. We'll start at the top. And uh, I don't think this is the best way to measure a coach, but if you want to, you can look at his career record and note that he's 37 and 15. So for those of you who uh, immediately want to check that box and convince yourself you're not getting a uh, a career loser when it comes to uh, wins and losses, that can be done. Um, Again, not sure that's necessarily the best way to measure somebody, but if that's where you want to look, that's, uh, that's what you can for a slightly more advanced look. Uh, look at some of the improvement that he that he did uh, with Memphis and a general level of improvement that really kind of started with Fuente and uh, and Norvell kind of picked up and, and ran with and highlighted uh, with you know this year where he's got a one loss team and playing in the uh, conference championship game yeah so this was important to me and I think important to Florida State as well um, that they they took a look and they say okay it Justin Fuente did a good job at Memphis. Memphis was, was one of the worst programs in the nation when, when Fuente took over. And he took them from 96th to 77th to 55th to 47th in, in SP+, which is an advanced stat. It measures competition level as well and how, how, how well you play against who you play. Um, and that's a not really nice job by, by Fuente. It, it got him the Virginia Tech job. And so I think if you're Florida State, you have to be sure, like, okay, this, is this guy improving the program from what Fuente had uh, and we know, typically, it's actually a lot harder to go, let's say, from 40th to 20th in those ratings. Basically, at the ends of the bell curve, it's, it's, it's harder to move. In the middle, it, there, there's a lot of, lot of uh, fluidity there. Um, so Norvell, first year, 49th, so basically the same thing as what Fuente did. Next year, 42nd, so very mild improvement there. Next year, 36th, okay, now we're, now we're actually seeing some some uh, some real improvement from from what Fuente did. Like he, you know, this is a better team than, than Fuente's best team there. And then this year, uh, a, a really big jump as well, 13th uh, nationally in SP plus. So uh, Justin Fuente at Memphis has Memphis as as a, a team that would be the second best in the in the ACC, if you want to put it in in that perspective, uh, and roughly on par with like Utah, Oregon. So he's done a very nice job there as far as building that thing. It's also interesting that as Justin Fuente's players left the roster, because I don't believe there are any left on the roster, or at least I don't think there's any who who are big-time contributors for them, at least not for my cursory scan. Uh, as, as Fuente's players left the roster, um, they the team seemed to get better, which speaks well of uh, the, the job he's done managing that roster. Um I think that, that that's a pretty impressive job there. Look, there are no guarantees in coaching hires absent maybe like Alabama getting Saban back from the Dolphins. Um, all you can do is look at a guy's track record, okay? Has he improved the places uh, where he's been? In this case, yes. Does he seem to fit your culture? We'll see. I, I think he would, but, you know, like there's... We're, we're going to see how he does there. Those are kind of the two questions you have to ask in making a coaching hire. Assume you can you can answer questions like, can we afford him, <laughs> right? That, the, those type of things. So it's, does he improve the place he's at, and does he fit your culture? 
I think Florida State feels comfortable that that both those things are, are, are true. I certainly agree with the first, and I, I don't really have any reasons to doubt the second at this point. Uh, so, Ingram, let's talk about some offense here because Mike Norvell's an offensive guy. Uh, how how does he do on offense? Employs a aggressive, hopefully explosive offense. What, the last three years, his offense is ranked first, uh, first, third, and first in explosiveness. Uh, that's that's nationally, that, right? Yeah, wow. that's nationally. That is something that would be welcomed by this fan base. Uh, really good thing. Uh, it's a lot harder to uh, to be great with a ball control offense at the elite levels uh, because of the defense alignment. So you know it'll be a it'll be a, a little bit of a challenge from some of the levels of football that he's played. But uh, statistically, there's a lot to be excited about what Mike Norvell brings and what Mike Norvell brings from a, an offensive perspective. Yeah, it, it, he he does a, a pretty good job at creating explosive plays. Obviously, I mean, first, third, and first is is huge. Not not necessarily to the detriment of success rate, which is also important. Um, I mean, thirty eighth, nineteenth, and eighteenth in the last three years there at Memphis. Uh, one thing I noticed here in, in, in digging into these stats, and we're going to do a, a, a deeper dive show on Norvell uh, as well. We will also do uh, a show where we bring on somebody who knows Mike Norvell extremely well. Uh, and we'll probably also do a listener question show with Norvell, uh, as well as probably reacting to the podcast or to the press conference and all this kind of stuff. Uh, whenever that, whenever that happens, my guess is there will be a press conference on Sunday or Monday. Um, I expect Norvell to be in town Sunday, probably will have a chance to meet with, uh, with the recruits who are on campus right now on their official visits. So, uh, the one thing I noticed actually in digging into this, Pretty balanced and really does kind of seem to cater to his players. Uh, sometimes this offense runs a ton. Sometimes it chucks it around a whole lot. I mean, he's been like top 15% nationally and bottom 30% nationally in, in early down run rate. So sometimes he's uh, seems to want to establish the run and sometimes he seems to want to want to play to his strengths and, and, and chuck it around a whole lot. And that's on a yearly basis. So he's shown, he's had years where he's done one thing. He's had years where he's done another. The one constant has been, Big plays. I mean, pretty consistent. Obviously, first, third, and first nationally is uh, is really explosive. Uh, one thing we'll note: he he does seem to throw to the tight end uh, a decent bit. Uh, Florida is a state that produces tight ends. Sometimes, not always. It, it's not an amazing tight end state, uh, but his tight ends at Memphis have averaged thirty three catches uh, on, on a yearly basis. So that's that's pretty solid. Um, I mean, you're talking about probably I don't know four to five tight end targets per game uh, and and about you know, two to three catches per game. So a little more than Florida State uses it now. Uh, tempo is, is an element of his offense for sure. He's been upper third uh, at Memphis in, in tempo. So he's a guy who definitely wants to go fast and definitely wants to, to run a lot of plays. Um, it's not Bryles fast. Okay. So that, that is, uh, that's an important thing to note here. He, he's not one of those guys who is going to be probably not going to be top top five in the country in tempo, but generally top 30 in tempo, I would say, out of 130 is uh, is roughly, I think, where he wants to be. And who knows? Like, if he, if he gets to a place where he has more defensive talent and a little more defensive depth than what you can acquire at Memphis, uh, that could be something we could see. He might want to drop the hammer even more, knowing that he can substitute in and, and play more defensive guys who are, are higher quality, which is what you should be able to do at Florida State 
eventually. We'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, he also, I, I think it's important to note, because Todd Graham is a defensive coach, and he's a Todd Graham disciple, but he's an offensive guy. Uh, he did a really nice job this year finding a defensive coordinator. This is kind of what helped Memphis uh, take that next leap. Uh, they, they're 33rd in defense, I believe, this year, and 7th offense uh, nationally. They, that's been a, a real big thing there because like in some of years that some of their years their defense has not been very good. This year it's I mean it's better than Florida State's defense uh, by by a good margin. Um, I'll also note that they are eleven and one entering entering uh, uh, Saturday's AAC title game. Um, but their win expectancy here and this is kind of advanced stuff. But I'll just note uh, their lowest game win expectancy this year is 79%. So they really should be 12-0. and 0. The game they lost at Temple was actually an 81% win expectancy for Memphis. So what does this tell me as a guy who, you know, hosts a gambling show and is pretty into the data here? Uh, that tells me that Memphis was fairly unlucky to lose to Temple uh, and has zero lucky wins on the year. Right. There, there are none of these games where it's like, oh, they were in a 30% post-game win expectancy and, and, and lucked it out. Uh, what happened in that game, some really poor turnover luck for Memphis at Temple. You also had uh, two Memphis defenders brain each other right on, on a hit attempt, and they both left the game. So, like, two – I think the one guy was pretty good. I, I was watching the game live, and I was like, oh, my God. They, they slammed into each other, knocked helmets, and so all of a sudden Memphis was down uh, to uh, – uh, two defensive players there. They outgained Temple in that loss, uh, 6.4 to 5.4 on a per-play basis. Uh, but the the minus two in turnovers, which we know are, are you know have a large randomness element, uh, were, were largely the issue uh, there, as well as some some terrible field position. Um, although uh, Norvell teams have actually had, speaking of field position, pretty damn good special teams. Uh, third this year in, in, in special teams SP. Last my year, Lord. 39th. Imagine that. I just said, my Lord, imagine that. Imagine yeah. a decently coached special teams unit. Now, that last would be, year, uh, uh, that would be welcomed. 2016, number one in the country. So, this year, third. 2016, first. Last year, 39th. Uh, and 2017, 42nd. So, it looks like Norvell's teams are averaging top 20 special teams. So, it does seem to be... Uh, a focus uh, for them. Now, why is that? Um, I'm digging in here a little bit more. This like, We're kind of going off script here a little bit. This is just kind of me nerding out. Uh, it looks like they are very good. Uh, the, the kicking game has been solid, but not like amazing. So they're not doing this just based on having a great kicker. Uh, the one thing that we are consistently noticing here is that Memphis... Uh, they return kicks very well. This year, 20th. Last year, 33rd. Uh, 2017, number one in the nation. And 2016, number two in the nation. Now, part of that is having really good skill guys, obviously. But their punt success rate and kickoff success rate uh, has also been um, pretty solid for the most part, with the exception of 2017. They didn't cover kickoffs well at all. Uh, but for the most part, that's it's been... Pre- anyway, it look, it seems to be... Uh, a focus. I, I don't think that is all 
just randomness. Although we do know there's a good bit of noise in, in special team stats. Uh, he is the play caller, by the way. I, sh I should note, on offense. So he's the guy who calls the plays, which is interesting because of how much the offense seems to change on a year-to-year -year basis. Uh, he's still the one calling the plays. So the common elements seem to be uh, explosive plays, hard play action, uh, a, a emphasis on, on RPOs as well. Uh, but it, it does seem to change a, a good bit. Uh, in picking his defensive coordinator, I think you can expect to pick to, for him to pick a guy who is going to be pretty aggressive. With the Todd Graham tree of defensive coaches, Ingram, I don't know how much Arizona State you watched or Pitt back when Graham was there, but uh, they will blitz a lot. They like to bring pressure. It's, uh, it's a lot closer to like a Venables than it is to um, like an Iowa. So that they, they really, they, they do want to bring pressure. They do not want to be on the field for long stretches at a time. This would have been really nice if Florida State could have borrowed Memphis's defensive coordinator for the UVA game because they might not have just allowed UVA to go down the field in five-yard chunks repeatedly. Uh, now, let's talk about something that has been brought up as a major negative here. And we're not trying to be, hey, like super positive, Mike Norvell's a slam dunk. We, we said like there's no guarantees in, in coaching hires. Uh, we, we think Florida State did its due diligence here um, and, and and found a guy w w with a solid track record. But, look, you can also make a really good case for that with Willie Taggart, and that didn't work out at all. So there is a whole lot of just you got to get the timing and the fit right. Let's talk penalties, though, Ingram. I've, I've heard some negative talk on Twitter about penalties, uh, and I put this out on the, the Noelcast account this morning. Uh, look. 102nd in penalties per game. Number one, I want to note that penalties are not a problem unless you're losing. Okay? People don't care about penalties when you win at all. It's just, it's not a thing. They're like, oh, penalty. Look, we know that for every time, everything, every penalty you get called for, you're probably getting away with some other form of aggressive play that is helping you win the game when it is not called. Now, some stupid penalties, like illegal formation and uh, lining up offsides, things like that, not having enough men on the field, those are some of the errors I think you'll want corrected. So I, I also took a look at this and said, all right, well, how many, instead of penalties per game, which I think is kind of stupid because different teams run different numbers of plays, what if you take a look uh, and, and look at Penalties per play. This is something we did with, with Willie Taggart, by the way. Uh, under Willie, Florida State had a penalty every 16.4 plays. So that, not going to lie, is a lot or very frequent. Under Norvell, Memphis has had a penalty every 20.25 plays. Now, that doesn't seem necessarily like, like a whole lot. But, I mean, think about this, guys. That's, that's about 30% more penalties for a Willie team uh, than it is for a Norvell team. I'm not saying that that like Norvell's teams won't be penalized. They certainly will. But I don't think you're going to see them in like the bottom five in the country in penalties in, in most years. It looks like he's averaging like 90. And I don't have any problem at all with 90th. I've written about this before. There's very lo little correlation between penalties and winning. Um, and so far, the, these do not seem to be hurting Memphis. Uh, they, they play a very aggressive style of football, so I, I think you'll see some aggression penalties. But uh, just for reference here, 
uh, Norvell's penalties per play this year uh, lower than uh, some teams like, oh, uh, Alabama and Oklahoma and uh, USC. Maybe not the greatest uh, example there. Lower than uh, Texas A&M. So right, right about there in line with uh, with the Stanford, which is a team that you know people generally think of as being pretty, pretty disciplined. Um, Notre Dame, not, again, not a, not a team that people are going to be like, oh, they're undisciplined. So it doesn't seem to be an, an outlier. Uh, Florida State, in a penalties per game standpoint this year, was was second to last in the nation. So. Um, again, will Norvell's teams be penalized? Yes. Will they be penalized as much as Billy Taggart's teams were? I find that unlikely based on his track record. Yeah, I think um, one other point I will add, that this is a little bit more of a, a nebulous thing as far as fit. One of the first things that Florida State's leadership identified was, like, they need to find a coach who has all sorts of qualities. And one final one was, need to find a coach that has the ability to kind of work within the unique structure that is Florida State Athletics and some of the strengths and, and challenges that are tied to it. Um, I'm not like taking shots at Memphis when I say this, but it's, uh, you know, it has its own level of dysfunction and it has its own unique challenges. Uh, and you're getting somebody who maybe uh, has experience at working in an athletic department that doesn't always um, you know, hum at a, a, a perfect piece of, uh, of German engineering or something like that. So again, a little bit more of a nebulous comment as far as the uh, candidate. Uh, but I think again, it's a, it's another positive aspect of when looking at the probability or the possibility of projecting success and overall fit when you're looking at job and candidate selected. Absolutely. That's a really good point. That's something we heard from people we dug into. They're like, look, he handled Memphis. I think he can handle Florida State as far as the internal dysfunction there. That has nothing to do with the, the coaching staff. So, uh, yeah, I, that's that's a really good point. Um, one thing he's done very well at Memphis is uh, is hire people. And this is interesting because you never know how a head coach is going to hire until you look at his track record. And, again, track record is not a guarantee of future success, but it's – probably the only thing you can really really look at. So it is an important thing to look at. We discussed this, I believe, two episodes ago when, when we dug into Mike Norvell a little more as far as who he, he, he had hired. But uh, this year, I think he had to replace, I think, seven coaches, I counted, off his staff, and yet he has the best, uh, best Memphis team uh, that he has yet had. Uh, he has a pretty good record here of hiring guys at Memphis who then go on to become Power 5 coaches, uh, including people in actual coordinator positions. For instance, Chip Long uh, was his OC, and then now is the OC at Notre Dame. Uh, Daryl Dickey went to Texas A&M. Danny Johnson to Tennessee. Dan Lanning to UGA as the defensive coordinator. Marcus Woodson uh, is now the DB coach at Auburn. Kenny Dillingham, I believe, is the quarterback's coach slash OC at Auburn. But, I'm, you know... Um, we know who calls the plays at Auburn. And again, like Daryl Dickey, I think is the, is the QB coach slash OC at Texas A&M. But uh, I think everybody yeah. understands what being an OC under Jimbo actually means. Uh, regardless, that, that, that's pretty impressive there as far as the number of guys who have gotten P5 jobs off that staff. Uh, if you're looking for ways like, hey, why is this better than Willie Taggart? Uh, who, again, I think you need to be evaluating like 
what you saw from Willie before they hired him as opposed to what you saw from Norvell before they before FSU hired him because that's sort of the apples-to-apples comparison. Um, I do believe that Norvell's track record of having coaches promoted to better jobs on better st- on staffs uh, is, is overall better, especially when you consider that he's only been a head coach for four years as opposed to, what, eight or nine. Um, so he's definitely had a lot of guys who've been called up to the big leagues, and now, now he gets his call up. Uh, I, I thought this was interesting, by the way, and I, maybe it's just me nerding out, but I think we've got a lot of people who like to nerd out who listen to our, our show. Uh, his OC hires have been kind of interesting. It, he His current guy, uh, Johns, actually uh, is from the Air Raid tree. Now, it, it, one year with Kingsbury, but several years with Kevin Wilson, who was the uh, – Kevin Wilson was the, was the coordinator at Oklahoma when they had Sam Bradford, and they – it wasn't like full-on air raid. They, they ran the ball a lot, uh, but um, and they did more under center stuff than uh, than a lot of the air raid gun teams do typically. But so he gets a guy from the air raid tree, and then he has a guy from the Malzon tree, um, and and a guy with, with kind of a varied background. So three really, really kind of varied backgrounds there. Um, that's that's been interesting. It does seem like he values different things in his coordinators and is not always looking to necessarily uh, pluck off the same tree. So I, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, but it also makes it difficult for me to predict who the hell his offensive coordinator is going to be because I don't know where he's going to go, right? Uh, so that's frustrating as a podcaster. Let's uh, you talk a little recruiting. Oh, by the way, uh, he plucked his DC from, from Marshall. So uh, I don't know how he found him. Uh, because it's not like Memphis plays Marshall. They're not in the same conference. But the guy's done a damn good job there this year. Yeah, yeah. He's a, it's, this is one of the more exciting aspects of, of the hire. He's a young guy with his with his finger on the pulse of what's out there, and I expect him to continue to make a string of hires. Another really exciting aspect, and um, maybe like needed excitement if you're a Florida State fan and a Florida State perspective looking at both what the roster is now and what the roster may be uh, post-transfer portal, is that Mike Norvell has as good of an idea as to the JUCO uh, circuit and an ability to scour the transfer market as probably anybody that you were looking at as a legitimate candidate. Uh, I expect Florida State to be heavily involved in the JUCO scene, and it has to be heavily involved in the JUCO scene. So as far as, again, you're not going to hire a guy because of, you know, his knowledge of, uh, of Kansas and Iowa JUCOs. Uh, but it is a, it is a, <clears throat> a very positive aspect as to what he brings and something that I think you'll see in action uh, almost from day one of the hire. And, and certainly in, in year two, I, I think he'll be able to assess, assess the roster that he inherited and, uh, and recruit those, some of those JUCOs and transfers for, um, for an entire year especially from the kind of the Mississippi Juco scene and some of the Louisiana Juco scene, um, I would expect him to try to bring some of those guys to Florida State because you know, there are certain areas on the roster where you just don't have ACC quality players, like offensive tackle, uh, for instance. So uh, there are some questions about Norvell as a recruiter. Uh, he's, I think his reputation as a recruiter is good. He's not known as like a Willie Taggart-level recruiter to compare him to somebody previous, and I don't think he's known – really as a Jimbo Fisher level recruiter. Uh, but he has significantly improved with the roster at Memphis, obviously, and so he seems to do a good job with talent evaluation. Uh, we know that Memphis has gone after 
some of the big time recruits from the Memphis area, but has not signed them. That's not really surprising. Um, you're not going to expect a school like Memphis to uh, to sign those guys, but uh, at least making a good impression on them is solid. Uh, he actually did really good work when he was at Arizona State relative to Arizona State standards. Uh, notably, he kept uh, Nikhil Harry and a couple of the other top kids uh, in state. Now, he did leave for the Memphis job before Harry signed, uh, but he was the primary recruiter on Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry obviously set a lot of the Arizona State receiving records and uh, and was the first, I believe, first-round draft pick the Patriots have used on a receiver in uh, maybe ever, I think, for, uh, under Bill Belichick. Uh, anyway, Arizona Arizona kids, keeping Arizona Arizona kids home at Arizona State was a big thing, and, and he was certainly one of their one of their best recruiters on that staff. Uh, a, a real potential negative here is that he does not have much experience recruiting the state of Florida, um, and I think that is like there's no way to dance around that, right? Like you can't if you're Mike Norvell, you can pick up the phone and call a high school coach because your shirt says Florida State, and that they're going to answer. But if you don't have a long-term relationship with them, that's going to hurt you some. And so in crafting his staff, who we don't know who's going to be on, on his staff yet, um, he's going to have to do a good job of hiring some guys who have uh, State of Florida recruiting connections. I think that'll be important. Um, that doesn't mean the whole staff has to have those, certainly. Um, if you look at it, a lot of coaches in, in this, this state have done a good job without having that. Uh, but you do need to have a couple, I think, who have those those level of connections. Um, now, where are the primary recruit areas he has recruited? Just looking at this, uh, he's done a lot of stuff in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Memphis area. So do I expect him to continue to try and recruit those areas? No, probably not that much, no. Um, Florida State has some, some Mississippi connections just due to Edwards and some of those guys within the program um, and, and some of the dudes they, they pulled out of there, out of there before. But Overall, I, I would I would not think that uh, that he would continue to recruit those areas that heavily. But one thing that is positive, I think, is that if you recruit those areas, man, those are some dirty areas, right? Those are areas where you have you got to understand how, how the game is played. And look, Mike Norvell being around Memphis, he's going to know how the game is played, even if Memphis is not playing in that game. He's going to talk to some of these guys who have been promoted to some of these big time jobs, UGA. A&M, Auburn, right? Uh, three schools I think we, we believe are pretty committed to winning, and uh, they're, they're kind of all in, if you will. I am not worried about Norvell not understanding how the game is played or being unwilling to play the game. We know that was a, a concern that we had with Matt Campbell when, when Florida State was looking at him. It is not a concern that I have with Norvell uh, due, to, due to where he is recruited. I think that's something that that's helpful there. Uh, oh, one other thing I, I think that is a concern here is that some of the, the talent that I believe has helped him get to the top of the AAC, uh, guys like, like Akoxie and, and some of these other dudes they have on the roster are dudes who they get in because Memphis can, can get some guys into school academically, right, who other schools can't. And there's no doubt that like Coxie is like an LSU or, or Clemson or, or you know, FSU-level receiver, and yet he's at Memphis. So at Florida State, he's not going to have that advantage uh, at all of being able to get guys in academically that like FSU's competitors can't get in. Um, but then again, like other schools in the AAC can also get those guys in. It's not like Memphis is super special with that. 
But one of my concerns here with this is, okay, he's not making a living, but he's definitely finding an advantage here, kind of a market inefficiency with some of these dudes who academically aren't great. I, I went ahead and peeked at their APR, because if you recall, Florida State has a terrible APR. They're still trying to dig out from Jimbo there. Not I think sure. I remember hearing something about that. Yeah. So his single-year APR, so the most recent data we have available, which is 2017-2018 for a single year, was 988. Uh, that is like much better than anything Florida State has ever posted, I believe. Uh, and the multi-year APR uh, under Norvell, despite going hard transfer, hard JUCO, uh, and taking advantage of guys who academically can't get in elsewhere sometimes, um, it's actually improved under Norvell than, than under Fuente. So that has been uh, impressive. So what we can say is that if Florida State looks to take some guys academically who aren't that great, uh, it does seem like his staff understands that that, that needs to be managed, I guess. Uh, now, it's not a guarantee that will work here in Tallahassee, but it's uh, it's important. Because if he was going all JUCO transfer academic casualty type guys and the APR was tanking, I would have real concerns. I'd be like, ooh, man, that's that's not going to work in, in either direction there. Certainly watch and monitor and something that unfortunately is uh, of unique importance to this institution uh, when it comes to APR and APR progress. Moving on, a guy that um, at the beginning of the conversation, we had some questions as to maybe how well he would interview or how well he's interviewed in the past. Uh, by all accounts, he's in a pretty impressive interviewer. He's got plans. He's got ideas. That doesn't necessarily shock me for somebody that's been in the business as long as he has. He's a, he's a detail-oriented individual, uh, which Florida State desperately needs right now. And it's my understanding that that comes across in the interview process. Yeah, it, it, I, I was told that, that he has an impressive plan when he interviews and, and really kind of lays out his vision, which is good. you got to have somebody um, who can be organized there. And uh, like that's, that's certainly a concern because it, it, one of the downfalls of Willie Taggart in Tallahassee was – was the internal disorganization. Um, I guess we'll, we'll end it on this, and, and again, we'll, we'll be bringing you a lot more Mike Norvell content uh, coming up. But uh, one of the things here is that, that that I was told from a Memphis source I have is that he's very good with the boosters. And specifically, I was told that he was good with the Calipari boosters, Calipari being John Calipari, who uh, took Memphis. Did they win a, Did they win the title there, or, or did they uh, the basketball, or did they they get runner up? I know they did didn't really they, well. Didn't they lose in that one bizarre title game? Uh, I think so. See. Yeah. Um, so Calipari uh, is a guy here who I I like this in a lot of ways. I like that Norvell has done a good job with the boosters. I also like hearing. I think if you're a Florida State fan, you're going to like this that he has done well. Uh, getting in with some of the boosters who supported Calipari. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying here, then I think you understand what I'm saying here. Because um, Calipari was not afraid to recruit. And while Memphis can't recruit that way in football, it sure as heck can in uh, basketball. And uh, that is good because I think that is something that needs to improve in Tallahassee if Florida State is going to get back eventually to playing you know, at, at a really high level. I don't, I don't have much expectations for the 2020 uh, team, and I, I, I don't even know that they'll make a full game. Um, but, you know, we'll see on that. I, I haven't really finalized my predictions there. But long-term, that recruiting and that uh, relationship with the boosters is going to be uh, going to be really important. So 
Uh, we've yet to see Norvell meet with the boosters, obviously. Uh, that, that might happen tomorrow or Sunday. But or Monday, um, but I, that's that's encouraging to hear that he's done well with the boosters. If you watch his press conferences, he's not like a crazy high energy guy, um, at least not in press conferences. But he does seem to uh, to do well with boosters, at least from what we hear. That's kind of the explanation for why we think we, we think uh, Florida State hired Mike Norvell, and that's that was the purpose of, of this uh, this show. Yeah, like I said, been a uh, been a fun process. Something that we'll uh, do numerous shows tied to the hiring. We'll do a show kind of dedicated to the the whole process in general. Uh, give our opinions as to how it played out. Maybe try to give you any kind of quote unquote behind the scenes stuff. Uh, and like you said, we'll have a, a probably a post uh, press conference reaction and. Uh, we'll try to give you as good of an idea as to what's out there, what to expect. And uh, this was but the first uh, kind of serving of uh, the Mike Norvell era. So hopefully you found this informative. Certainly appreciate the support that we've received recently. Uh, podcast is doing as well as it's ever done, and that's uh, that's exceptionally appreciated. So uh, from from those at the Nolcast, uh, we'll sign off on this kind of instant reaction podcast and promise you that we will have much more Mike Norvell-related content coming to you shortly.